Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Ford Van Fossen from First Light, great partners of the National Beer Association. We're going to talk a little bit of early season hunting, but more specifically, we're going to talk clothing and being prepared out there for all the things that early season or frankly any point in the season tend to bring you and as always joining me here in the conversation is the doctor mr mike groman mike we uh you and i have run the gauntlet of hunting clothing you and i have shown up to hunt in one pattern on our legs and a different pattern on top uh we have been scavengers we're old enough to know uh, to remember the days where you couldn't even find a full set of the same pattern. Uh, so we've seen it all in the realm of, of camo patterns and quality of clothing. And I think we've come a heck of a long way. What do you think? Well, I still think I'm, I'm laughing because I think I still have one more step to make. I still, I still piecemeal my stuff together at times and I, you know, but Hey, full disclosure, I have, I have had three kids in college for the past five years. So, you know, money, money just is not a friend of mine right now. <laughs> well, I, I just, it's, it's, you know, if you want to, if you want to get the top level stuff, it's not cheap. There's no question. And, and I want to get into that with Ford. I want to talk about, uh, there's this value proposition, right? Like why spend tens of hundreds of dollars on all the gear, but then not put something on your body that's going to actually keep you out in the woods or out in the field long enough to, to have an opportunity. So, well, and also that, to enjoy it though. I mean, we're, we're out there really to enjoy it at the end of the day. And if you're cold and miserable, are you enjoying it is the question you'd have to ask yourself. And the answer is most likely no. Well, you can certainly be a fair weather hunter as well. Like you can, as I've gotten older, <laughs> um, I've, I've certainly maybe taken some days off that I might not have when I was younger because I just want to be comfortable and enjoy it. Now, if you just pick those days where it's a perfect, perfect weather and you're comfortable, you're not going to get a whole lot of hunting days in. I don't care what part of the country you live in. And so, yeah, the gear is important. And I think we've got the ideal guest on the show here today to talk about that. So looking forward to talking to Ford, uh, Mike on the ask NDA, anything I, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed in our listenership this week. Uh oh, you're being you're being very judgy. I'm Forgive being him, very, everybody. I'm being very judgy, but <laughs> um, but I think they deserve it because I did not get a single ask NDA anything uh, since the last podcast. So, um, you know, we've we've given away a couple hats, and so I maybe people don't like NDA hats. I don't know. What do you think? Should we should we change it up? Should we throw it out? Uh, should we give them another chance? What do you think? Well, uh, um, let's let me think about that for a second. I guess what I want to say is that. It could be a couple of things. Number one, uh, the extra effort to submit a question does take a certain amount of time. But at the end of the day, if people are really curious about like the National Deer Association or you, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just a volunteer here. I, I'm just kind of either the comic relief or the person that kind of keeps Nick right it. I don't know how you want to look at it, but um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting things going on. And if you actually have a question, I'd, I'd strongly urge you to ask it because this is a, a segment that he is taking very seriously. And it could, if the way I tell, talk to my students is that if one person has a question in the class, most likely somebody else does. So I'd say take the extra five minutes and shoot Nick an email. He'll give you his email address and 
will allow you to ask a question. I feel like that this was, this reminds me of like, Hey, uh, go ask that girl. She likes me. (laughs) (laughs) So I I appreciate that. Mike, uh, asking people, uh, to, to weigh in and yeah, we do, uh, we it's, we take it, I'll say it, I'll put it this way. I certainly want to answer your questions about the NDA or anything for that matter. It could be, it doesn't even have to be about the NDA. You might want to ask me how my Ferminator works, for example. Um, that's cool too. Uh, but we also want to have some fun with it as well. So yeah. And and then also in fairness to our guests here who we have just now scolded and they probably are like, you know, to hell with this. I'm not listening to this show anymore. Um, I did not really do a good job of promoting it on the last episode either. So here's my, my better stab at that folks. If you send us a ask NDA, anything question that we use on the show, I'm going to send you a hat. And so I've just got a fresh supply of hats sitting here. And so they're ready to go. So ask NDA anything, please send us a note. You can send those to Nick at deer association.com. I also want to tell you some of your, some of your deer pictures, uh, bear pictures, whatever. I'm into that. I like hearing the stories. I just had a member send me some pictures this morning and we, we spent some time sending pictures back and forth. Um, do that too. I really enjoy seeing those. So don't be, certainly don't be shy. Uh, one more thing on the housekeeping side of things, we're still running the promo because the podcast, whether it's this or the deer season 365 podcast from the NBA, uh, that our man, Brian Grossman heads up, we're still doing the promo for membership. So if you're listening to this and you're not an NBA member, you can get five bucks off, go to our website, find the join NDA button, and then use the pr- promo code podcast. And that's going to knock five bucks off your $35 membership. I'm not sure how much longer we're going to run that. I know it works because I just tried it this morning. Uh, But uh, go ahead and jump on doing that. If you're already a member, you can add an additional year to your membership by doing that as well. So save five bucks. We're we're giving stuff away here, giving away hats. We're giving away $5 off the membership. Uh, So the the hook is baited. We just need you all to take it. So uh, also, this isn't housekeeping, but, you know, we... uh, it's not just all fun and games here at the NBA. We work on a lot of important things. And if you're a member and you follow us, uh, you, you're aware of that. But one of the things I want to point out, and our man, Torin Miller, who heads up our policy work here at NBA, uh, he said, hey, you're doing this podcast. Actually do something productive there and, and put out the word about some things we're working on. And so what I want to tell you about today is our work on the North American Grasslands Conservation Act. Uh, So we have joined a coalition of 10 of the top leading conservation groups in the country on this, folks, uh, called the North American Grasslands Conservation Act. Uh, You may not be aware of this, but since 2007, more than 50,000, or excuse me, more than 50 million acres of grasslands have vanished. And as someone who's hunted some of these grassland areas and understands uh, their importance, not just to deer, but to all wildlife, uh, that we just can't let this happen on our watch. We have to do better. And so obviously we're fighting to reverse that trend. Um, you know, the, there's just, the, we have these declines that are happening in wildlife, 53% of grassland birds decline, uh, 80% pollinator decline. North American Grasslands Conservation Act, it's gonna create a clear vision for the future of efficient wildlife and, and grasslands. So uh, the best place for you to go to, to do two things, number one, learn a ton more about the American North American Grasslands Conservation Act is to go to actforgrasslands.org and you will find all of the information 
that you need to know there. And you can also click on the take action button because your, your, um, your voice matters and let Congress know that we need to do better because we do need to do better. And again, policy is a huge part of what we do here at the NDA. So I ask you to participate in that. And uh, if you wanna know more about our policy too, so, so Torn, when you asked me to do this, and I know you're listening to this, at least you better be, uh, comes with consequences. Uh, if you're a policy person, you're into policy, you have something going on locally uh, that we may not know about, or if you wanna weigh in on something we're doing nationally, let Torin know. It's just Torin, T-O-R-I-N, at dearassociation.com. He'd love to hear from you. He does a, as much as I like to pick on him, he does a, a really great job for us here at the NDA, and we're proud to have him on board. So uh, with that, Mike, we got early season. Some people are hunting already. We got velvet coming off. I know I still have a few picks of deer in velvet, but most of them are out of velvet. I'm going on my first hunt this weekend. Uh, this is a, this is a pretty cool time, right? So I'm excited to talk with Ford here about some early season stuff. I think it is um, very timely and I'm excited for you. I'm going to have to wait until October for my first hunt, but I'll, as usual, live vicariously through in you and your social media account and occasional phone call in case something awesome happens. Well, let's hope something awesome happens. But speaking of something awesome, let's go ahead and get into the interview. Going to bring in our friend from First Light, Ford Van Fossen. I want to welcome to the show Ford Van Fossen. He is the conservation manager, excuse me, conservation and content manager. Hopefully I have that right, Ford. Uh, at First Light, he has a, in addition to that, I think you've been at First Light for seven years. You'll, you'll set me straight here in a second if that's wrong, but you also have a really impressive conservation career. That matter of fact, that was your background. Um, and so you've done some deer research work and some other things. So Instead of me telling everybody about you, Ford, why don't you set us straight and, and tell us about yourself? Yeah, Nick, I don't, I, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't call it an impressive conservation career, but it existed. I can say that <laughs> beforehand. Um, yeah, I, so I was a conservation biology major. I was always going to be a wildlife biologist, uh, I would say from sort of day one. And so after college, worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, back in Maryland at, at Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge and Eastern National Wildlife Refuge. And then did some work for the University of Delaware's Deer Lab, uh, working for Jay Koss, actually, who has appeared a lot in NDA's publications, it seems like, uh, sort of in the ensuing years. Uh, we were capturing button bucks looking into mortality in Delaware, basically. And, and like I said, I, actually a lot of, a lot of cool insights have come out of that work. Um, maybe not actually out of the first year that I participated in, cause we were still kind of working kinks out at that point, but down the line, a lot of cool stuff around predation and um, like I said, mortality and, and some adult buck stuff, they widened that study later on. So uh, did kind of that for a year and then um ultimately ended up kind of shifting um and kind of begged my way into first light's first internship um back when it was six guys it was the two founders scott kenton and a couple others and um basically a one-room operation um 
So I've been with them. You're you're quite correct for seven years now, and the uh, changes have been substantial. As I sit in our new, brand new, uh, nine thousand ish square foot um, office building here in in Haley, it's it's been quite a ride. I wanted to mention too, uh, and I, I'm still going to say it's an impressive career because you've done some cool things, uh, a lot of things that uh, I think people would love to be able to have the opportunity to do. And uh, also, I wanted to mention, too, that First Light, and we're going to get into this in more detail, significant partner of the National Deer Association. It's a company that makes giving back to conservation just part of who you are. And it's, it's just part of your mission, which I think is really cool. And we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later here. Uh, but where I want to start is, well, well, first of all, your hunting seasons, you're in Idaho. Some things have, mm-hmm. I think, already opened up there. So what have you already done? Oh, what yeah. are your plans? What are your plans for this year? Yep. Yeah, we are, we're, we're rolling um, out here. Um, archery antelope is, is August 15th. So that's sort of always opening bell. And then uh, archery elk and deer opens up on uh, August 30, 30th. Uh, and that kind of, I feel like that's when, when it really heats up uh, and some upland birds open then. And, so yeah, we're we're in the thick of it here in Idaho. I've actually kind of shifted my world quite a bit this year. Uh, I got a small Munsterlander puppy in April, um, and so I've sort of been hurled into the upland bird world to some degree. Hunted birds in the past, but sort of always with friends, kind of invite only sort sort of deal, and uh, decided to change that this year. Got this uh, little versatile pup and. So we've been working pretty hard on the upland side of things, mostly chasing grouse at this point uh, around, largely unsuccessfully, but just getting kind of getting reps, getting time in the woods. So that's kind of shifted my world. I, I usually would be kind of in the thick of archery elk, but I actually don't have an archery elk tag this year for the first time since I moved to Idaho uh, to, 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 like I said, to, to focus on the dog. So that's kind of the priority right now. And then we'll move next kind of date september 17th is when sort of chucker quail hungarian partridge and sage grouse open so that's the bird season sort of widens there so we'll be kind of getting after that sort of stuff i do have a sage grouse tag which i'm really excited for that's a whole conversation of itself in the west obviously but a, a conservation story to say the least um and then we'll get into deer season general deer rifle in October, which is kind of another passion of mine. Mule deer are way high up on my list. And we've got some kind of here and there, some testing trips scattered through for product and uh, maybe heading down to New Mexico, maybe over to Nebraska. It's kind of all still taking shape. It feels like it all should be locked in at this point in the year, but it seems like it never, never quite is. So lots of cool stuff coming down the pipe for me this fall. Very fortunate. Well, you're, you're talking birds and you're right in the doctor's wheelhouse there. I saw him perk up. This is supposed to be the call. Are, are you a bird hunter, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've actually been um, bird hunting. Oh my God. For decades since the, the late eighties. And um, I have a, a young English pointer puppy this year. She, she just turned one August 18th. So this will be her first woodcock and grouse year. So I'm, I'm tickled. I'm excited for you. I mean, Munsterlanders, I was involved in, 
uh, NAVDA, which yeah. is North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a German short hair that was a, a versatile champion. And so oh, wow. um, I think, I think you actually have, uh, have a lot of fun years ahead of you. I mean, monster landers, I think they can do duck work too. Uh, very, very yeah. easily. I've seen some good ones do that. So that's, um, and that's very much how I got, uh, I got sort of taken with this idea of, of sort of German versatility, right. And in, in hunting dogs. Um, so I, I'm actually growing up in Maryland. I'm a, I'm a big waterfowler. That's kind of what we did first. Um, honestly, so do a lot of duck hunting here in Idaho, um, wanted to get more into the upland birds. And, and honestly, the last thing that's pretty big for me also is I'm very interested in, in kind of getting this thing lined out on the trailing world or, yeah. or finding wounded game. That's sort of a priority also. Yeah, there's a lot of good information, good resources out there. And um, I mean, just for me to throw a tip out for to you and to anyone who is listening, but Please the do, biggest yeah. thing, yeah, the biggest thing for me was when my, I'd ask my dog to do a different job, I'd pull out either a different different collar or a different harness because everyone says, oh, well, how can you have your dog hunt sheds and still point birds and, and, and I'll do all those other things. And dogs are intelligent and they, they live and die by their nose. And I'd always keep those separate collars and separate bags and pull it out, let the dog smell the collar, put the collar on and it's time to go to work. And, and Mojo was a he was a phenomenal dog. I mean, it was crazy how I'd show up and people would actually be talking about him and have no idea who I was, which is fine. Cause I, I like the anonymity, <laughs> but the funniest story I ever had was I was actually at a, a trial and these two guys were talking, they were looking at the list and like, Oh my God, Mojo's running at two o'clock, you know, and you got, have you ever seen this dog? And you got to see this dog and I'm standing right behind him. And the guy turns to me, he says, have you ever seen this dog Mojo run? He's a German short hair. I'm like, yeah, I've seen him run a couple of times. Like, isn't he wonderful? I'm like, yeah, he's all right. He's not bad. You know? Uh, so yeah, it's just a lot of <laughs> fun. Awesome. It's something I've always been into. And uh, I think you're going to have a great, you know, great time with your dog. It's just such a unique relationship. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. I mean, having a VC on the dog, that's pretty, pretty incredible. I don't know if I have that ambition. We're talking about utility tests at some point is, is maybe, maybe our goal, but I, it's interesting. I have heard that sort of gear advice before. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think what we're going to do is get in the tracking harness. Yep. Um, and then obviously a dog, um, a dog vest for a waterfowl, uh, because it is, um, it is so often quite cold in Idaho during waterfowl season. Well, just so we don't lose any listeners here. I mean, We'll, we'll jump back into Nick here with the yeah, coffee and right, side right, of it. Exactly. You and this I, we'll, before podcast. we're done here, we'll, we'll connect. I mean, any question you have, you let me know. I mean, cause like I said, I, yeah, I trained man, a awesome. lot of dogs for other people as well. So you can always hit me up for a resource anytime you need to. Well, later that day on the coffee and deer show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get yeah. too doggy people talking about dogs, man. It, it well, can really spiral out of control. Ford, I got to tell you, this isn't the first time. Uh, but considering what we pay the doctor there, you know, it's, he's, he's safe. So no, Hey, I love it. I think a lot of people, hunters, a lot of hunters are hunters, you know, I mean, they, there are a lot of people that like to hunt with dogs. Um, yeah, I once trained a red tick hound to retrieve ducks and she got pretty good at it. Yeah. I I love it too. Um, and so I think it's good. It's pertinent. But one of the things that that you slipped in there that I want to talk a little bit about is you are an Easterner moved West. So you've been out West for, I guess, about a decade now. Tell us about that transition in your life. Um, 
you know, it is different, obviously. Um, and, you know, obviously the hunting opportunities are different, but the culture is different. Um, it's, a, it's a different world out here. Uh, but one, I've really certainly enjoyed. Um, the hunting opportunities are, are extensive and the, the country is, is pretty unbelievable. But I certainly miss Maryland, don't get me wrong. Um, I miss the whitetail woods, at least in that context. And the food and the seafood and the water and the marsh and sea deer hunting, certainly. Uh, we don't have that in Idaho for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not all rosy being away from home, so to speak, but I'm, I'm lucky I get back every year, certainly typically in November, actually, I usually do get to hunt the deer, uh, gun opener in, uh, Maryland most years it seems like maybe do we'll seek a deer hunting um in the mix too so i get back pretty regularly and and i uh, get to enjoy that too good yeah i know when we've talked in the past and you know that i hunt in delaware live in pennsylvania oh yeah the, you know it's country very familiar to you we've had some neat conversations about that so i can understand the uh, allure of the swamp and you don't get that oh yeah i, was just, <laughs> I didn't want to blow your spot but a large track of land you hunt is of great interest to me, certainly. And some of those killing a big swamp buck is, is a, is a very cool thing. Something I'd like to do in that, that greater region at some point, certainly. Yeah. Well, you know, I know a guy, so if you, uh, if you ever get a chance to get out there, yeah. we can talk about that. Um, so yeah. re- related to that, and I want to, I want to kind of tie a couple things together here. First of all, I do want to ask you to step back into your, your whitetail world a little bit. Uh, and mm-hmm. even, even mule deer for that matter, you are an accomplished hunter. You've shot some really cool things. We could have a whole show about that, but uh, we're getting into a lot of States have either just opened seasons or going to be opening seasons mm-hmm. here soon. And so there's this focus on early season hunting uh, your success in that regard, just anything. And it comes to mind for you. You're going out for an early season hunt in Maryland, for example, uh, what, what types of things are you doing to put yourself in a good position for success? Well, I'm going to, I full disclosure here, Nick, I, I am not an, an accomplished early season whitetail hunter. Um, but you know, what comes to mind for me in Maryland is soybeans, right? Um, food, uh, is, is, I think sort of the, you know, the name of the game at that point, uh, the deer are still kind of on those summer feeding patterns, uh, hopefully at least. Um, and I think that's, you know, typically going to be your focus in that context. Let me spin it to you this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I've had, you say you're not an accomplished early season hunter and you know what? A lot of people aren't, it's hard. It's one of the <laughs> yeah. hardest times, uh, especially if you have a, if you have a season that op- opens in September, first mm-hmm. of September, it can be an easier time because deer are still on certain patterns, especially if the velvet has, mm-hmm. it hasn't come off. But the minute that velvet comes off and yep. let's say you have an October opener, it gets a lot harder. And yep. so yep. the two times that I've had, I've had success in, in these two different scenarios. As I think about all the years I've hunted, the two years I killed deer on the first, either the first day or the opening weekend. One of those mm-hmm. times, the temperature was about 92 degrees in Kentucky. Oh yeah. The other time it was a early cold snap in Pennsylvania. The high I think was about 52, but it was in the low forties in the morning. Uh-huh. 
and I was able to stay on stand. I shot that deer very late in the morning when most people had left. And so where I want to take this is, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tie this to first light and you being in sure. the West, you have to hunt in all different conditions. I think part of it is just being able to be prepared for the elements in the early season. You don't know what you're going to deal with. So maybe talk about that and some of the work yeah. that first light has done. Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing when you first asked the early season, my first, my first thought was sort of like sweat, right. Is just, you know, cicadas, crickets droning away in the background. You're just kind of sweating and likely there's a couple of mosquitoes, uh, or are a couple of mosquitoes flying around. It's almost, yeah, it's almost an exercise and sort of enduring. I feel like that time of year often, and, and to your point, often the deer behave, if you're early enough, it's as this, you know, the season was, and I think still is in Maryland, it's quite early. I want to say the second, I actually, I shouldn't have even put that out loud. I'm sure I'm wrong now, but it's very early in September, or at least it was. And, and to your point, the deer are, are often on those patterns. And, um, I know I've, I've shot at least one doe on the, on the opener, um, in Maryland. I think it was actually my first archery deer ever. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does conjure up just kind of sitting there sweating it out. Um, and, and to your point that requires being comfortable, uh, a light base layer that's going to breathe well, that's going to wick moisture, uh, is, is a really important part of that kit. And it's funny when we talk this time of year, we talk a lot about, you know, quote unquote, early season kits, but really for us, it's, it's kind of two pieces. I was just watching actually some, some assembly cuts on, uh kind of a gear video we're putting out for this method series um without kind of getting into it basically the methods of a five-stop whitetail road trip uh kentucky wisconsin kansas texas and minnesota um but but the first episode is in kentucky uh taylor chamberlain and greg farrell our whitetail product line manager hunting beans uh and you know it is it is that situation it's 90 degrees and so these guys, you know, I, I asked them as they're, as they're putting this stuff together, as they're hunting down there last fall, Hey, you know, take a moment, talk about what gear you're using. And usually that's sort of this, that, this, that, this, that, you know, a couple of items. And really they're like our wick hoodie and our obsidian pants. It's really two pieces. That's all you're wearing. You know, it's pants and, and a very thin, a 150 weight, um, Merino or arrow wool, as we call it, um, base layer basically. So it's minimal, but obviously it's critical that that gear is, is the right piece for the job. Uh, cause it is so oppressively hot at that point in the year very often. So you said something there that I think will, that might've caught people's attention and, and just for what it's worth, I'm going to be on my first hunt of the year in Delaware on, uh, in just a couple of days and it mm-hmm. is going to be warm. And I literally will be wearing, uh, the wick hoodie and the obsidian pants, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, because of the temperature, but you're you're saying you can wear merino even whenever it's hot. Yeah, that's that is a sort of a common misconception um you know that we've sort of battled honestly as a company since our inception. Um you know, our history really is in merino wool, Scott and Kenton were sort of the first people to really come together on uh camouflage printed merino base layers. That's sort of the founding uh, invention, or uh, I guess, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the spark of first light was merino wool base layers. And, um, 
I think what we battle is this perception of, you know, your grandfather's uh, Mackinac, right? Red check, heavy wool, late season, great material for that. Um, but I think what people miss often is, is that, you know, sheep don't, they can't take their pelt off in the summer, right? You know, where we uh, source our Merino in New Zealand, I've actually been to a couple of the ranches and it's, it's almost deserty there, actually. It's not dissimilar from Idaho. It's sort of a highish desert environment and it swings, you know, from heavy snow to 90 and blazing sun and really no shade around. And those sheep are wearing, quote unquote, the same clothes the whole time. They can't even layer, right? They just have that fleece on and it keeps them comfortable in the summer and it keeps them comfortable in the winter. And um, and that's kind of, like I said, an, an unsung attribute of merino uh that's pretty you know downright magical and that it, it is actually quite comfortable um in that summer hunt environment or you know very early season hunt environment especially uh when it's when it's uh in the form of such a thin garment right the wick hoodie is is what we call 150 weight and that's not to get into the details it's 150 grams of merino would take up one square meter so one square meter of that fabric weighed would weigh 150 grams. Um, and as you know, Nick, having worn the thing, it's, you know, if you stretch it, you can damn near see through the thing. It's, it's so thin. So it's also just such a light garment um, that obviously it's, it's not going to insulate like your grandfather's Mackinac would. So great in the heat, great in the cold. Uh, yay, Merino wool is, is kind of our company's slogan and has been for a long time. Well, Ford, the one thing that you mentioned there is um, in fighting an uphill battle with just public opinion or uh, whatever you want to call it, whether it just be misinformation, but yeah, perception. Yeah. yeah, yeah, natural fabrics. I mean, natural fibers are, I mean, they've been field tested through eons of, of evolution. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get you there and you're, you're, you're totally right. I did not to correct you, but I did look it up just so that you weren't giving anyone misinformation, but uh, Maryland opened September 10th is when their, their bow season really? opened. So um, yeah, yeah, I quickly looked that up on my computer. Not that I knew that. I appreciate uh, that. I, I wonder if it's, it is actually a little later or whether I'm just mistaken in general. Well, Delaware is September one. And so, um, okay. you know, if you're right in that neighborhood there, it'd be easy, but yes, yeah, so September 10th, we're talking, uh, I, I still actually just as recently as last evening got pictures of bucks still in velvet, mostly younger ones, mm -hmm. but most of the velvet has been shed. And so if you're someone in Maryland and we're recording this on the ninth, so a uh, big day for Maryland hunters tomorrow. Get out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, try to catch them on that early season pattern because it's about to change here quickly. So yep. uh, we'll thank the doctor. Yep. That's why we have the doctor on the show, by the way, to keep us straight on, on the facts yeah. and so on. So well, just, uh, to, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. I mean, yeah. but, but yeah. Um, so talking about early season and talking about materials and, and misinformation, talk about in regards to first lights, how you do take these natural fibers that have been developed and evolutionary tested, if you will, over eons and marrying them with performance materials to make them durable and make them work in these hunting situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and actually, you know, that wick layer you're talking about, Nick, um, 
and our arrowwolf collection in general, I think Mike is, is sort of the epitome of that. Um, so what arrowwolf is, is, is essentially a mix of synthetic fibers and wool um, with, the, with the goal, so to speak, of maximizing the benefits of both. Uh, so wool is great. Uh, it's a great insulator, obviously, um, from a white cell perspective and a hunting perspective. And I think probably what Drew Kentons got into this originally, um, wool does not stink up in the way a synthetic does. And that has to do with sort of the microstructure of the wool itself. It's, it's not physically amenable to bacteria. Um, so it's not a treatment. It doesn't wash out, anything like that. Basically, the structure of those wool fibers on a microscopic level are, again, not conducive to bacterial growing on them and bacteria cause odor. Uh, and so that is kind of why wool is odor resistant and why it's one of the reasons why it's very valuable to the hunter. Um, so wool is, like I said, odor resistant, insulates quite well. It's also warm and wet. That's sort of ancillary to our story here. But um, so what it's not, however, is incredibly durable as a garment, as sort of the structure of a garment. Um, and it doesn't dry quickly, uh, particularly. So what we did is we did integrate uh, synthetic fibers uh, that, as we know, uh, dry very quickly and are sort of stronger for their weight, if that makes sense. And so the product, Arrowwool, um, maximizes, you know, the strengths of both, essentially. So odor resistance, insulating properties of wool mixed with sort of the drying, wicking qualities of synthetic fibers and also giving it sort of a, uh, a lattice or framework um, of a stronger material essentially to give it increased durability as a base layer garment. So if someone was gonna be, if someone wanted to go and you mentioned kits earlier, I would encourage people to go to the First Light website mm -hmm. and, and they can learn more about kits there. But I, if, if someone's sitting there thinking I want to, I want to try some of this high quality gear for the first time. Maybe they've bought just sort of off the shelf mm -hmm. Walmart stuff and they want to be more serious about it. Um, the guy that wants something that's going to maybe get them through the early season, but also those mornings where, like I described earlier, where it might start off kind of chilly, but then, you know, maybe warm into the fifties, what would be your mm -hmm. go-to in that scenario? So my favorite piece in our entire line is our kiln hoodie. Um, it's a 250 weight uh, wool mid-layer or heavy base layer in the late season. Um, and it's, you know, in some regards, sort of a humble piece, the hooded base, you know, base layer. But as, like I said, as a second layer in the early season, you know, and we're going back to sort of the mid-Atlantic, you know, you're probably pulling that out at the end of September into October, when there's just a little chill to your point, Nick. Um, or uh, kind of fast forward, you know, late season, uh, extremes call it in the mid-Atlantic, there's maybe even a little snow on the ground. That kiln is then gonna be my heavy next to skin layer. And I think wool base layers, again, is where I point people first in our, in our line. It's where we started as a company. Um, I think we do it best to this day. And I think you'll realize sort of the most benefits of a performance base layer um, 
you know, out of all the gear, it's next to your skin. It's sort of foundation, right? So that's, you know, that is where I, I typically tell people to start. That wick's also a really good piece as an earlier season mid layer or a base layer. Um, but that kiln, I think, could be kiln hoodie, um, Merino X, as we call it, Merino X kiln hoodie, you know, 250 weight. I think that could be the most versatile piece we make. Well, there you have it. And I, have to, I don't think, believe I have that. So guess where I'm going after we're done recording? <laughs> To, spend, talk, to give you more of my money, afterwards. Ford. Um, no, it's all good. I think uh, I think it's important to have these discussions, though, because people they think about all of the other things when it comes to being successful in the deer woods: the scouting, the pictures, the bow, the gun, the blind, oh, yeah. whatever. And they don't realize if you can't stay out there and you can't be comfortable, which I told you know, as we said, it's hard to have a lot of success early season. It really is. But if you've had it, it's probably because you were able to either get really lucky or you had some staying power out there. And I think it's important to have this discussion. And I think you, uh, you've certainly opened some eyes here, I think, with regard to the merino wool, how you can use it warm or cold uh, and the different uh, insulating values of those. So I think that that was extremely yeah. helpful. It's, you know, clothing is so foundational to your hunt. And, and certainly our gear is not cheap, don't get me wrong, but I think you know, having the right gear, you know, again, next to your skin right there, it starts, your hunt starts there. Um, and if, if you're getting too hot, if you're getting cold, uh, you're, you're not going to be successful period. We always joke about the sort of proverbial situation that has literally happened also a couple of times that, you know, obviously wearing first flight, you know, walk by a camper at a trailhead here in Idaho. And, you know, you've got an $80,000 pull by trailer, You've got a uh, razor side by side, possibly an ATV next to that. And, you know, the hunter's sitting out front drinking coffee, wearing Walmart camo. And he's like, oh, that's some fancy camo you got there. And it's like, yep, it is. Keep <laughs> <laughs> walking into the woods, past $100,000 worth of camping accessories. Um, Arguably, you know, none of which are as important as the gear that actually gets you comfortably to the game on your on your back, so to speak. Well, and that reminds me of a story that I was that um, I was privy to. Uh, I hunted with G. Fred Ashbell, the president of the Pope and Young Club years ago. And this was just when because um, I showed up with, you know, like um like a Cabela's brand fleece to hunt and um he says, well, let me tell you a little story about that. And, and so here's someone that, you know, has had a lot of miles, a lot of trips and a lot of hunts. And he told me how he went on a, an Alaskan, Alaskan guided hunt. And it was just when that polar fleece came out and his guide was wearing it and touting how great it was. And, and, you know, Fred was wearing wool and they actually hit an early season sleet and uh, freezing rainstorm that guide became soaked in that polar fleece to the point of where they had to build a fire, make coffee. And Fred was trying to keep him alive until they could get a plane back in there to pick him up because this guy wasn't going to make it. So when you're talking about, and that did stick with me, I mean, to be, for me to be able to tell this story 20 years later, you know, it, again, I, I, I don't roll in money. I don't have access to a lot of stuff. And, you know, Nick can attest, I do piecemeal hunting clothes together at times, but on a hunt where the situation could become extreme and you can't quickly get back to a vehicle uh, when you've invested so much time, effort, and money into maybe one of these adventure type hunts, 
you, you should be looking at all your equipment, not just your bow, your boots, et cetera. I mean, boots are important, highly important, but also your, your clothes and your gear as well. So, but that story stuck with me to where I, I realized that in certain situations, you know, Walmart camo might be fine. In other ones, you might need to really take a look at what you're wearing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's certainly situation dependent, but yeah, that the warm and wet quality, man, that can be, that can be important. And it, and it has for, for me, I, my sort of the story that com, comes to mind there at Elkhorn a couple of years ago, um, we were in on this little herd and um, trying to call them through some timber to us. And, you know, as we were standing there and, and it was actually pretty wild. I was driving past this spot the other day. This was, this was like September 1st. Um, and it had already snowed and it was, uh, it, as we stood there calling these elk through, it started snowing, sleeting, and then raining. And, you know, during the course of that five minute setup, which where I you know, didn't particularly want to move, didn't want to put another layer on, et cetera. I was wearing actually that kiln hoodie. Um, I got pretty well soaked, um, and, and, you know, again, didn't want to move, uh, and, you know, definitely got wet, got cold, but even in that super wet condition, that Merino kept me survivably warm, you know, in a not dangerous way, got back to back, got back to the tent, um, put a bunch of layers on, started sort of cooking that cooking that up, getting heated up on the inside and, and was more than fine. Yeah. And you know, our goal here didn't is kill to, an elk by the way, Yeah, they never came out. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we're not, we're not here to, to, you know, kick Walmart camo, whatever. I've certainly worn enough of it. Uh, I feel like. No, I, well, I, absolutely. Yeah. It's just the point here. I mean, I could go out when what I'm wearing right now and go kill a deer. I've, I'm, I'm certain of that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, being able to do it for longevity. I, could, I couldn't sit out there in what I'm wearing right now for very long without getting uncomfortable. And that's what we're talking about here is just putting that emphasis on good quality clothing, which is what keeps you out there. But I want to switch gears here forward and bring you down the home stretch. And this is something that is, um, is a consumer, this mm -hmm. is something that's always been very important to me. And certainly as a person that runs a national conservation organization, this is important to me. And that is companies that give back to conservation, that get it, that get the big picture. You guys certainly do that. We have a significant relationship and sponsorship with First Light. Uh, and it goes well beyond even what we write in a contract. There are many things that pop up throughout the year that you guys are absolutely willing to help us with and also you will come to us with ideas on things that we can work on together. And that's, and it benefits deer and it benefits hunters. So tell us a little bit about the conservation ethic of first light. And frankly, the fact they've hired a conservationist like you to lead that work. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm proud to say it's sort of in the DNA of the company. Um, really when I, just about when I started working there, which again was, you know, when there was six guys in a room, basically, uh, Ryan Callahan, who was the first employee of the company, um, was, was pushing hard, um, that conservation and the support of wildlife and wild places needed to be a part of this brand as we, as we grew it. Um, 
And I distinctly remember at the time, you know, coming from the Fish and Wildlife Service, coming from the university, that being kind of my world, I remember thinking, oh, this is awesome, but it, I don't think it's going to work. You know, I don't, I don't think people are, are really going to differentiate, you know, us from our competitors based on the fact that we like wildlife, that we support conservation, et cetera. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say that that has not been the case at all. Um, I think it's been a part of our success. I really do think it does um, highlight us, let's say, from sort of the playing field of, of apparel sponsors. That's, that's not to say other companies don't do similar things at all, but I think we're known as a brand associated with conservation. We're, we're known as a brand associated with these key nonprofits like the National Deer Association. And, and I think that's helped us grow as a company. And I think it's been part of our success. Um, so, you know, it, it's certainly important because it's important to us because it's the lifeblood of the passions of our employees and our customers. But honestly, I think it, it's also part of our business model um, because to your point, Nick, people, people care about this, thank goodness. And I think it draws, draws them to our brand in a way that, uh, you know, in a manner that wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get the same effect if, if it was only about the gear, if we were only selling hunting gear. Um, I think we wouldn't be the same company and we might not sell as much hunting gear, honestly. Well, I think uh, one, one thing that people wouldn't know, unless they're you or I or the few other people that have worked on this together, you guys did an awful lot for us at the NDA um, well before we had an agreement. And you didn't have to do that. And that certainly stuck with me coming in as we were uh, reworking our organization. And I'm really glad that we were able to get to where we are now. And I want to mention as part of that, the Camo for Conservation campaign, which is something that you uh, you thought of. And uh, matter of fact, when I got well, my last post, I, actually, like, I can't take. Yeah, I, I can't take credit for it. that. Was, that idea was also Ryan Callahan's idea. Um, it sort of was shuttered um, or. or gathered dust at some point and we you know around the time of uh our you know sort of budding relationship with the nda we brought that out and it really the timing was good we had a new camouflage pattern specter um oriented right around whitetail hunting and we had a you know a new relationship with nda and and so i felt the time was right to kind of repush this this idea to the powers that be in our company and say hey We've got a new, we've got a new conservation partner. We've got a new camouflage. Let's, let's finally enact this camo for conservation concept, um, which, which I guess to, to explain it briefly, basically a portion of every sale of our Spectre pattern is donated uh, to the National Deer Association. So every time, uh, you know, sort of the proverbial cash register rings, uh, inspectors involved money is going to the NDA. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And I was going to say there, we, my last order of Spectre gear came with a nice little sticker that says Camo for Conservation and NDA on it, which is a cool little add-on to, hey, before we let you go, uh, the, the doctor says, he says he has an off-topic question about predators. 
uh, from out West. And he wants to hear from a guy mm-hmm. that's an Easterner out West now. So I'm, I'm curious about this too. So the floor is yours there. Just cutting uh, right to the controversy. Appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. I mean, again, for podcasts, I like to ask questions that I think listeners would want to know. And there are a lot of listeners from out West, but there are listeners in the East. And as an Easterner who has not hunted out there, I'd like to know from your perspective, you know, we don't have really significant alpha predators out East. What's your Mm -hmm. thought process on alpha predators? And and does that come in? Does that factor into your thought process when you hunt Um, as much as maybe, again, we talked about misperception about wool um, as much as maybe our misconceptions about predators, uh, would be coming from an uneducated perspective out, out sure. east here. Yeah. Oh, good. I thought you were talking about predator management, Mike. Dealing Not with yet. predators, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to talk about. No, I'm happy to talk about predator management too. But um, uh, so predators, I really, I see it as, as pretty black and white, um, which it isn't. But really, the only thing that changes the way I hunt is a grizzly bear. Um, grizzly bears uh present i think in some ways a, a different set of challenges to a hunter um someone who is really in, in some regards doing everything wrong to not get attacked by grizzly bear right you're being quiet you're moving around in small groups or by yourself and then you're strapping meat to your back and running around in the woods um so grizzly bears do change things now i, I sort of preface Black bears can be dangerous critters. I actually did my thesis on black bears in the East um, and black bears attack people, black bears kill people. So really I probably shouldn't have this sort of black white perception. Um, and, and really that's a factor, you know, in Pennsylvania also. Right. Um, but for whatever, for whatever's worth, I do think that sort of the danger is more significant from grizzly bears. Uh, and that changes the way I hunt. I would say you're carrying bear spray. Um, you know, you're setting uh, a camp kitchen that's distinct from your tent. Um, you're being particularly careful. You should always be careful about this, but um, in bear country, but you're being meticulous about food not being in that tent, right? Food is is hung or in bear cans separately uh, from where you are sleeping. Um, and, and you're honestly, this is, this is up for debate across the West, but I do not hunt alone in grizzly country. Um, obviously, you're more susceptible to sort of being attacked, just generally speaking. But when it comes down to it, your goal is to shoot an animal. And when you shoot that animal, you're going to be bent over that animal, breaking it down for two hours, three hours, depends on what it is. Um, and I don't want to be bent over looking at a backstrap in grizzly country um, with, you know, a world of odors emanating <laughs> uh, all around me. I, I want somebody basically on guard if I'm breaking an animal down in grizzly country. Um, now we actually don't have grizzly bears right around us here um, in Haley, but um, it comes up pretty frequently. I'm going to be, I'm actually participating in the, speaking of controversies, um, the Teton goat removal project in Grand Teton National Park again this year. Um, quick background being they're trying to pull the mountain goats out to protect native bighorns, um, bighorn sheep there that are, are not doing great. Um, but anyhow, we'll be hunting within Grand Teton National Park itself in the mountains. Um, you know, not crazy dense grizzly bear population, but 
they're present. Um, you know, I had a friend run into one on this hunt last year. Um, so you you know, we're definitely carrying bear spray. We'll have 300 caliber rifles also, um, which is also a plus, uh, with, but you know, you're definitely being, you're being cognizant there, you know, and, and honestly that bear spray is with you the whole time, right? That's the kind of mistake you don't want to make is, uh, you don't want to put that down, kind of let your guard down, go off into the woods to do your business um, by yourself, you know, without that bear spray. Even you just kind of always have to be thinking that there could be, there could be a, a large brown bear, you know, proverbially around the corner when you're out there. Does that, I guess, does that answer your question, Mike? I guess yeah. summary yeah. of my long-winded answer is I don't really worry about predators. Um, except for grizzly bears. Okay. Wow. Because, and just to let people know, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in regards to your location, I mean, you have black bear, grizzly bear, just starting to move in. I heard uh, mountain lion and wolves. Is that all, is that all the alpha predators or did I? Yep. Main correct. Yep. Okay. I think so you, hit, you hit them all. Yep. And see mountain um, lions would worry yeah. me. Like mountain lions for me seem like sneaky i mean you have to look they are look, up, look around yeah. <laughs> look down and quiet i mean but well i've um, camped with and, mountain lions in, in north dakota by myself solo hunts they were the only there were no grizzly bears there but there were certainly mountain lions uh and they're thankfully they're significantly more shy than the others so i never really felt terribly concerned but uh they you know you don't want one to bite you <laughs> <laughs> no no for sure I, and i don't you don't want to sort of you know make light of that but the ratio of people that are killed by mountain lions to people that live in, in lion country is pretty minuscule um, in comparison to say grizzlies, right? How many humans live in, in the Northern Rockies basically in the U S and or Alaska and how many attacks there are on humans that I would just argue they're more dangerous mountain lions. You know, it's funny they'll often, they do this thing a lot. Um, and I've had several buddies and coworkers in this situation. They'll follow you out. Um, through the woods at night, you know, so you're push up for an elk hunt, get in the mountains, whatever, whatever. And you're coming out for a day hunt or, or even, I guess, back to your tent, a backcountry situation. And, you know, people get the willies basically and whip around with the headlamp and the cats just padding along 20 yards behind them. Um, which again is very creepy, uh, but they don't seem to attack people very often. Um, so it's sort of something I've just kind of, made peace with i mean yeah there's a minute chance you're going to get attacked by a mountain lion but yeah i think it's pretty small honestly um and i've got a tag also and typically a weapon <laughs> so <laughs> honestly well, I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i probably wouldn't turn down that situation completely and then i might get to eat mountain lion as a result as a side benefit perhaps Right now, everybody listening to this podcast, if they're going hunting in the morning, they've just decided they're only, they're going to go in the evening and they're probably going to leave their stand before dark. Uh, because even yeah. if they don't live in lion country, they're going to be nervous. Um, and thanks, by the way, for bringing up black bears. I got about a, what appears to be at least a 500 pounder on trail camera on my place. Oh. So, uh, and they, and in this state, black bears, man. yeah, they get up, Huge. To, they've killed them over 800 pounds in this state. So you're talking Huge. about yeah that's a bear that's the size of a brown bear but anyway that's oh, a whole other more so more yeah. so man i mean i remember seeing a, when i was when i was in that world working on working on black bears i remember just seeing this photo i think it was out of pa of a black bear like 
on a two wheel trailer meant for like a side by side and the thing took up the whole friggin' trailer. Um, and you know, frankly, that's bigger than the vast majority of grizzly bears, you know, grizzlies, I think we tend to overestimate their size. Um, and they are ferocious, but you know, the average bear is, is not 800 pounds in the Rockies. Um, certainly boars get there, no problem, but you know, that's a big animal. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yes. It's a big animal. So, uh, Ford, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out today. And also for first light sponsorship, uh, I want to encourage people go to firstlight.com right on the, the front uh, page of their website. They got a nice little scrolling, uh, some scrolling images there, their new series, the method is listed on there. Uh, they talk about kits that we talked about. Uh, certainly give their stuff a look. And again, if you are buying the Spectre pattern in particular, you're supporting the National Deer Association. So Ford, uh, thank you again for doing this. Looking forward to catching up with you on, I'm sure, a bunch of other things here soon. And, and good luck out there this fall. Yeah, Sam all. Good luck as season's yeah. open across, uh, across Whitetail land. I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm even more excited now to get out there and hunt. It's just the, it's not, not that we got into a ton of tactical hunting strategy, but it's just the whole, we're talking about clothing and my mind kept going to just sort of those feels of putting your gear on and being out there and that cold air kind of on your face. Um, you know, the smells I just set up my, because I'm going on a hunt this weekend. Uh, I just set up my, my Ozonics dry wash bag to treat my clothing before I go out there. And so just sort of being around the gear and, and putting it and feeling it on your skin and the scent free body washes and all these things. Um, and then having talked to Ford, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Ford was a great guest. I enjoyed talking to him and we had, uh, not to bore the people, but we had an additional dog conversation after we <laughs> stopped recording. So uh, really interesting and very, very entertaining young man. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of good things lined up for him moving forward. He truly is a conservationist at heart. And I can't tell you the number of times that he has reached out to us with ideas uh, or heard ideas that we had and has always just been hundred percent positive about it. They're, they're a really good partner and I've enjoyed working with them. I love their gear. Uh, I've hunted, um, I've hunted all over the country, a lot of different environments. And I got to tell you, the stuff is, it is top notch. And, uh, I, you know, I, I do use the products from the people who sponsor our organization and I believe in them. And that's part of the reason they're partners and first light is certainly no exception to that. To see someone of his age, be that involved in, um, at least centered around com, uh, conservation is, is ridiculously encouraging for me. I mean, I'm, I'm actually in a better mood today because of that. We need more of those young people out there really focusing on that because, you know, that's what's going to make a difference is more people getting involved. Don't think because, you know, you might be in your 20s, 30s or otherwise that, you know, the older guys are going to take care of it. I mean, we're, we're winding down. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting tired and old. I mean, it's time to pass the torch. So yeah, I by just, all means, get involved. I just went from being excited to depressed, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're not as good as I once as was. As me. Yeah. Not as good as you once was. Right. That's, um, well, actually, yeah, but I'm as good once as I ever was or something like that. Yeah. You <laughs> that got how it goes. It. That's, that's actually, I, yeah, we're living that right now, but no, to your point, I'm glad you brought that up because I got to tell you when we have meetings with first light and some of these other partners we have on X and 
like I'm getting on the zoom call and I look at these dudes with, you know, hats turned backwards. And, uh, you know, these guys are punks and it's, it's in a like, good way. Yeah. Good that's way. what I mean. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, they're just kids. And I'm, I'm like, I used to be the young guy in these meetings and I'm not anymore. And they are excited. I, I, I actually am very optimistic about where we're headed from, um, our conservation perspective and some of the people leading these companies. So that's a good thing. But for that being said, I mean, you talked about the, the grasslands act. Um, I, you know, I think we should probably put that in the show notes to make it at least easier for people to connect to that, because that sounds like that's something really important. And that's something that very, that's very easy for you to do these NDA um, action plans or these NDA blasts that they put out, they, they really make it as easy for you as possible to get involved, um, whether it be, you know, just clicking that you support it, researching more, talking about it to people, sending it on via a link, via social media, all that stuff is helpful. And as, um, you know, Ford was saying, you know, just simply buying Spectre camo, if you have to buy camo anyways, which eventually I will have enough money to be able to do that as well as I, I just had to buy a bow. Not that I'm complaining that I'm poor. I just, my bow that I ordered in February finally came in people, but, um, you know, my next thing is boots and, and camo this year. And, you know, I'll be picking that Spectre camo because there's a lot of technology behind it, but also there's a, a good cause behind it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, a couple of things on a personal note. I, I've, I've got some stands set this weekend, so I'm, I'm sitting pretty good there. I think I'm basically ready. My food plots look good. Uh, continue to get some decent pictures in. So I, I would have to say, Mike, at this point, I asked you the question, if the season started tomorrow, would you be ready? Uh, I think I'm ready to answer yes. And it's a good thing because I'm starting on Sunday. Uh, and now you've got this new bow, but I'm, I'm feeling good about where I'm setting. And how about you? Let's check in with everybody. Where are you at? Uh, I'm still going to use my other bow again. I have a lot of respect for those animals. So the new bow, I still have to develop that feel with it. And I'm just going to get it together, get my arrow set up, my broadhead set up, get some reps in and who knows, it might maybe make, make the, the field or come off the bench by the time the rut rolls around, who knows? Well, I hope everyone out there is, if you're not already hunting, that you're getting prepared and, and getting ready to get out there. And if, if you're not a bow hunter and you're a gun hunter, you should not be waiting until two days before your gun opener to be shooting firearms. So as Mike said, it's about respect for the animal and the resource. So uh, you owe it to yourself, if, if you can find ammo, by the way. I hope you're not one of those people that you're sitting there with three shells left from <laughs> the previous season and you can't find new ammo and you're trying to hold on to those for dear life. So anyway get out there, get some shooting in and get ready for the season. So folks, I want to remind you, if you're not already, please consider subscribing to the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher, as well as a number of other places. Or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast. You can subscribe right there. You can subscribe to any of our three podcasts there, actually. Uh, you can also leave us a rating, which we encourage you to do. That'll help the show climb the charts and be, be visible to more listeners. And also, for more information about the NDA, please visit our website, deerassociation.com. Become a member. Take advantage of that membership promo we're running here. Again, the, the code there is podcast to save five bucks. Uh, you can also sign up for our free newsletter, which comes out on every Thursday. And you can also enjoy our endless content on all matters related to wild deer conservation, habitat, and hunting. You can also find us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So be sure to check that out as well. As always, folks, we do thank you for listening. Be safe out there. Good luck. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.